introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. This week I've got Dr. Scott Allen, and as I said last week, I was going to start letting the previous interviewee choose who they wanted to be on the next episode, the next pod, and Dr. Allen was more than willing to oblige to be on, even though we recorded this the day before HISD went back to school uh, virtually but they went back to school so I know how crazy of a time it was for him so I can't tell you how much I appreciate Dr. Allen coming on the podcast he is the principal at HSPBA and, and has been there now for 11 years and for those listeners to the podcast that have heard me talk about HSPBA that is my alma mater so I'm very familiar with HSPBA although clearly it has changed over the past few years when I was there, of course, it was a little bit different, being that it was inside of what, I guess, we thought it was a corre- an old correctional facility for uh, boys in HISD, but um, I was told different uh, later on, but uh, it, it was a windowless sort of block of a building that was housing a bunch of fine arts kids, and, and we loved it. I mean, it was a cult back then. It's still a cult now, but now that cult has quite the digs. Their downtown facility is state-of-the-art, if not the most state-of-the-art facility that you will ever find currently, currently built, especially for a high school and even for productions and performing and music and art and building and crafting. I mean, it is just phenomenal. I was fortunate enough back when Travis Springfield came on as the assistant fine arts director in Fort Bend and became my boss about three, four weeks after that was announced. I think it was about that time. Uh, He allowed me to join the entire dance uh, teachers, all the the entire dance teachers, the all of the dance teachers from Fort Bend. I was able to tag along with them and go on a tour of HSPVA. And it was a personalized tour from Travis, which was perfect. Um, I think it was, I mean, we were just, most of us had our, our mouths wide open in awe of all of the cool things that HSPVA now has, Kinder HSPVA now has at their disposal. I mean, these kids are just being treated so, so well and it makes me envious of their time. And I wish I could be back there, but I also loved every second that I had when I was at HSPVA as a student. Class of 2000, shout out, what up? Anyway, uh, this was a hell of a week. Um, We were told in our district that we are going back face-to-face on September 23rd. Teachers start uh, going back for professional development and getting reacclimated, and then students start returning about a week, week and a half later, and they get folded in slowly. So it's not that just every single student shows up to school But with that come a lot of complications, and our district has done so many, so many positive things with the online stuff. I mean, the online stuff has been actually phenomenal, and there are parents that, yes, we all want our kids to go back, but there are some parents that are saying, our kids are getting a better experience, educationally speaking, maybe not socially, but educationally online because the content is just, it's good, and there are teachers like me and my wife and uh, Megan Wallace, who's about to come over and, and have a play date with our kids, uh, they, we are just thriving in this online world, and it's a lot of fun. And again, yes, we would love to, ideally, we would love to be in person, but this is not a bad alternative. This is not a bad alternative at all. It's not like the XFL compared to NFL. It's like, that's a bad alternative, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, so it is, it's been a heck of a week because we're trying to figure out how this is going to look when we come back. And there are lots of parents that are saying, well, you know, uh, there are districts around you that are all face-to-face. Correct, but they started the year that way and had planned that way. And it's not like we didn't plan on eventually going back. It's just become more work than I think anybody had originally planned. So enough about that. I want you guys to get to this interview, uh, Dr. Scott Allen. And, And for the record, I have already recorded 
my podcast for next week, which is the interview that Dr. Scott Allen also recommended, which is Kelly Russell. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy this podcast with Dr. Scott Allen, and then look forward to next week with AM Corpus Christi's uh, Kelly Russell. Enjoy this week. Have a way. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Have a great rest of your week, people. Bye. So yeah, I, uh, I grew up in a small town outside of Austin, Taylor, Texas. We were the Taylor Ducks. Uh, once a duck, always a duck. And I had an older sister. I still have two older sisters and a little brother, but my uh, closest to me in age sister uh, was a senior my freshman year. And so we were both in band. We were both in, we were both in, we were both in. And um, at one point I went to a meeting for the theater department. I don't even remember what the meeting was, but um, either that night or in the days that followed, my parents called me in and said, um, you know, Angela is in band with you, Angela's and all these other things. So let's let theater be her thing. Let's, why don't you not do theater? Cause I had never done theater before. Um, but of course that made me want to do theater. And so, um, so I ran the slide projector for a, a little piece that my director put together, God's Trombones. And then I auditioned for the one act play, uh, again, not having any idea what it was. And, and we did the glass menagerie and I got cast. And, um, I remember towards the end of rehearsals, um, course that was when you could rehearse until all hours of the night and so uh my director dropped me off another thing that would never happen today after it was over and it was like 10 or 10 30 and i remember going in and telling my mom i want to be a theater teacher and uh and so um went to college uh ended up being a theater teacher and i taught for two years at hayes high school which was in the middle of a cow pasture back in 1991 92 and uh, then I went down to Corpus Christi and taught at Cal Allen High School for three years and then had the opportunity to come to Humble ISD and teach at Humble High School and um, worked there with Travis Springfield and James Orozco and um, Tim Jackie Beck. And that was a lot like all of a sudden being back in college because there were four of us teaching in this then 5A high school and it had always just been me. And so uh, it was it was a blast and, and just really had a good time with that. And James Orozco said, hey, let's go get our master's and, and be uh, principals or fine arts coordinators. And I said, sure, why not? And uh, I sat in those classes and thought, I don't know why anyone would ever want to be an assistant principal or a principal. And uh, I was going to be a fine arts coordinator. That's what I thought. And uh, so ended up getting a job as an assistant principal at an elementary school, which who would have ever thought that? Uh, but everything fell into place and I loved it. Uh, did that for three years and then got my own school in Spring ISD at Jenkins uh, Elementary School. And I was there for five years. Uh, it was really great because we had some opportunities to integrate the arts into, um, you know, the, the elementary classrooms. And um, then I thought I was burnout and I didn't want to be a principal anymore. And I uh, got a job at Region 4 Service Center uh, over the principal certification program. And really, by the end of the first day, I knew that uh, I had made a huge mistake. Uh, I like kids and not grownups. And uh, so luckily for me, I think about October, Travis Springfield called and said, hey, they just posted the position of principal at HSPVA. And um, so I applied and thought there's no way this will ever happen. And um, interviewed in December, final interview in January, and I started on February 2nd of 2009. So um I tell people, I don't know what I did in my former life, but uh, I have the most amazing job in the world. And uh, it's, uh, I've been very lucky, very lucky. And, uh, you know, being able to teach at three different schools, uh, administrate at three different schools, they've all been positive experiences and I, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's no secret because you're now episode 80 something, but uh, that I, that I'm a graduate, but before your time nine years before your time. Um, but my principal when I was there was the, a music person. So Dr. K was, he was a violinist and uh, very much musically inclined. So I'm very jealous of the fact that a theater guy is now <laughs> over, over the school. Um, how have you had to kind of personally just change and adapt and adjust to get to know all of the other elements of the fine arts as the principal of a school that's trying to, you know, not favor one art over the other. E even in your time, you've introduced mariachi. I mean, um, as a, as a, 
a way to get into the school practically. Um, so what have you done for yourself to kind of make yourself more equitable at your own school? You know, when I showed up in, in February, um, I, uh, my experience with HSPVA was that we used to go compete at area there for one at play. And, and of course, as a high school teacher, our kids loved being there. Uh, but that was really what I knew about the school. And so when I jumped in in February, I went to every performance, every event, every exhibit that I could um, to learn about the school and to get to know the kids. And um, and that was that was really probably the best education for me was just being in the moment with the kids and being able to experience their art, um, you know, going into their classrooms. Our faculty is so amazing, too, that they would they would visit with me. They would talk with me. Um, I was just so excited about the level of, of talent in the school. And, and I think that that being somewhere new, being in this job that, again, is a dream job. It, it was just I, I had to know what was going on. And so I think the teachers had did a great job of, of educating me and, and teaching me what was going on and, and just going, going, going as much as I could. And and, you know, having taught theater for nine years at the high school level, and then spending eight years with little kids, all of a sudden I was with these young adults again, who you could have conversations with. And don't get me wrong, one of my favorite things about elementary school was having conversations with those little kids who no doubt told you exactly what they thought. Um, but it was it, it, it was just exciting for me. So I, I would say that just being around the kids and going to their events, was that was my education. Yeah, and did they appreciate seeing you? Like, was it almost an instant appreciation because you were putting in the time and the effort? I would say this and, and no disrespect to anyone because when I come for full circle, it will, it will not be disrespectful. So the principal before me uh, had been there for 13 and a half years. And so he didn't go to that many performances. So especially, you know, when you think that the cycle of, of kids being in the school is four years. So um, they weren't used to seeing the principal at performances. And, and seriously, I was at everything that first year. Um, and now going into year 13 for me, I go to performances, but not like that. So I think if I were to leave and a new principal came in and did that, the kids would probably be more excited. You know, there are different ways that I have relationship with kids and I think that they appreciate me, but I think anytime that they're seeing you every night at performances, you know, yeah, they, they embrace that. And, and of course the theater department was excited when I got there because they knew I had a theater background and, and sometimes I, I reflect on that because, you know, there have only been five principals. Uh, the first was Ruth Denny, who was a theater person. Yeah. And then uh, Norma Lauder, who was uh, an organist and music person. Annette ben Annette Benning. <laughs> uh, Annette Watson was um, visual cool. arts. And then Dr. Carpicky was uh, was music. So yeah. I, 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 I reflect sometimes of that full circle of, you know, theater to theater and uh, I'm no Ruth Denny, but right. uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. And, and my mind will wonder sometimes about who will be the next principal, you know, who, who will take over after me because it's gotta be a dance to, teacher. <laughs> I know there's never been a dance, uh, dance person. So anyway, yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, it, like I said earlier, yeah, it was no, no disrespect to Dr. K. He was just, uh, he didn't, it was, uh, an education as much for him as it was for the students to kind of get integrated into things that he just didn't know as well. So it wasn't his background, but I remember, uh, you know, one of the big things that happened in my time at PVA was we took that trip to China. And so that was kind of Dr. K's kind of his big, uh, moment of I've accomplished this and it was a great trip. And if anybody listens to this, that wasn't chosen for that trip, I apologize, but, uh, it's been 20 years, so you should, you should be over it, but, uh, Get over so, it. <laughs> so your, your big accomplishment, and maybe this is disrespecting you in a bit and labeling you somewhat, but your large accomplishment is getting the downtown school, the state of the art facility, the 12 story building with uh, a bowling alley on top. And no, I'm kidding, but you know, it's a, was it a four story building, right? Um, five story building, excuse me. Uh, there's the disrespect, but <laughs> <laughs> five stories. How, how dare you forget that last story? Uh, but getting a, a state of the art facility that's in the heart of uh, downtown Houston, uh, obviously significantly closer to the theater district. Um, do is there something else that you 
feel you could also hang your hat on other than uh, accomplishing getting out of that correctional boys facility that that PVA used to be because that's what it was from what I understood is that it used to be like a like HISD's kind of like you know bad kids section <laughs> and so they used to send them there and then PVA took over so <laughs> that, um, that building was actually built just for a HSPVA uh was and, it really and yeah lots I learned a lot during the, the lot of construction rumors, of the new building but I would like to think there are lots of little things that that will be remembered uh, with me being principal, but no doubt that that building um, that will be the highlight of my life. Um, you know, whenever the bond went out in 2012 and, and they said they were going to build a, a new building and it passed, that was step one. But of course, there have been promises over and over. And I think there were five or six different sites. There were plans in my closet at the school, in my office, you know, that that never came to be for various reasons. But I think everything happens for a reason. And for us to have ended up downtown, you know, four or five blocks from the theater district, it, it couldn't be more uh, perfectly placed. And um, the nice thing is HISD is so huge that whenever they started building all of these, I think there were 42 high schools in that bond, um, you know, we had a a contractor and we had an architect and we had our little team of, of teachers that, that I was able to choose to to work with the architects. And for the most part, HISD was like hands off, like they would come to the meetings, but our art areas were able to dream what they wanted and talk about what they needed. And, uh, you know, I, I challenged them to not build the building for our kids today, but our kids 25 years from now, because who knows, you know, what what school will look like especially with everything that's going on right now. Um, but in the end, uh, it ended up being the building that everybody wanted. And, um, you know, we, we were fortunate to have HSPVA Friends, which is our nonprofit. We were, we were over budget by about $5 million. Uh, and we kind of sat at a standstill for about a year. And uh, Friends went out to, um, to different groups and asked for some money and, and the Kinder Foundation was was kind enough to um, give us a $7.5 million gift. And uh, so instantly everything that had been taken out was put back into the building and we were even able to add a few few items and right. things that, that weren't in the project. So um, I haven't heard any teacher complain about the spaces. I feel like that for the first time, HSPVA has a building that offers the spaces that programs need. Yeah. I think the programs have been in place for very, very, very long, uh, a very long time. And so now to have those quality programs with that amazing space, it's just, it's beautiful. And it's it's been fun to watch the level of art change. I mean, we've only been there a year. Right. Um, you know, we moved in, in January of 2019, but I went into the art gallery, I guess it was the grand opening, you know, the second week we were in the building and the show was just brilliant, like amazing. And I thought, oh well, yeah, they, they, they picked the best, the best kids for the grand opening. And so the next week I went in, there was another show and it, it was really good too. And so the third week I went in and the kids were hanging the show for opening. And I just asked them, I said, you know, this, this has been what I've seen for the last two weeks. And, and the art was good at Stanford street, but it's amazing. And they looked, the three of them looked at each other and they looked at me and they're like, Dr. Allen, look at this gallery. Like our art has to be better. And then I went to a dance concert and then I went to the orchestra concert and it just felt like that everything was just elevated. And I think they were so, the kids are so excited to be in spaces that rival the professional uh, facilities in the yeah. city. So um, I, went, I went on a tangent, but that that building is amazing. And, well, yeah. and I will always feel like it's my building, uh, you know, just because, you know, every, once a week, twice a week, I was going to to walk through it and talk with it. And our architects, uh, Gensler, um, who one of the architects on our project actually designed the building at, at uh, on Stanford Street. Yeah. But they and McCarthy, the contractors, I don't think the building would be what it was without them. So it was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. When I, when I was there, the space was keeping up with the program and now the program gets to try to keep up with the space. So, um, I think that's good. Is there, is there something that, because, you know, you and I joked before, before I hit record about, 
the idea of a piano in, in the rehearsal spaces, or maybe it's not the rehearsal spaces, but there are pianos on campus that are networked in so that if they have a clinician of some sort that's teaching the kid piano, the keys are moving with the clinician to kind of teach the kid, right? Is there something kind of spectacular like that that is not in the building that you hopefully one day would like to see? And it goes along with what you said about challenging the architects and the designers to create something that 25 years from now is still relevant um, instead of doing something that is only good for today. Is there something that's that still is on your checklist that you'd love to have? The only thing that I can think that I was really disappointed that we couldn't uh, put into the building, because I, I do feel like everybody got their spaces and I think our technology is, is state of the art. But at one point we had talked about there being a space, maybe not a huge space, maybe just a classroom, but we were, we were referring to it as a creative space, like a space that kids it was a kid's place to, to make art and do performances and be able to reserve and have rehearsals and, and just sort of this avant-garde, like come at lunch today and see this, or, you know, um, and we don't have that. It was, there's every, every square foot is, is full and, and being used. But um, that's probably the one thing that comes to mind that we did have to cut out that, that isn't there. Um, I can't imagine enrollment dropping, uh, but if it did, you know, that could always, it's not like that's a difficult space to have. In my mind, I was thinking of a black box slash classroom, you know, not, not fancy, but just right. something that kids could really um, use their imaginations and creativity to, to do some fun projects. So, you know, someday someone might decide to, to turn a space into that. I, I don't know where um, there is a roof that I guess we could always build up, but that, that's the one place. That's the one space that um, I really wish we had done for the kids because our kids always amaze me right. with whenever they're given the opportunity, what they can come up with. So enough about the building. Um, <laughs> is there, do you think there's a region re, eh, easy for me to say, do you think there's a reason more major cities don't have an HSPVA type school. I know Dallas has Booker T. I know Denver has a school. You know, there there are other major cities that have an HSPVA style school, a fame style school, if you will. Um, but do you think there's a reason that there aren't more? I was actually surprised at how many uh, how many cities slash states do have them. There's an organization called Art Schools Network, and uh, and it's a, a great great place to network with other leaders and deal with the same problems or issues or concerns that we do. Um, but I think you have to have a school board or if you're, you know, what, whatever, whatever organization is overseeing education, I think that you have to have a group of people who really respect the arts and understand that they make a difference in kids' lives. Um, art schools aren't cheap. Uh, it's it's expensive and and so you've got to have that commitment and and we've been lucky since 1971 in HISD to have that support. Um, you know, I, I that's the only thing I can say. I I do know that with you know LaGuardia in New York, uh, the real fame school uh, opened in 1970 right. and then we opened in 71. Um, many of the schools across the country came and visited us. Uh, and so, so whenever I go to visit other schools, many times, you know, they'll talk about, well, we came to visit Houston or we talked to Houston and we did this, um, Dallas, I want to say it was the late seventies. They actually flew the entire faculty up to Dallas and visited with them about if you were building a fine arts school, what would you do? And, uh, and so they truly are our sister school. I mean, their schedule almost looks exactly the same um, and there's still collaboration between the two schools. So I, I love that HSPVA, um, which as far as I know, we're the only uh, art school in the country that's just HSPVA. There's not, it's not Houston High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, but um, you know, we, we could get into the Kinder High School for the Performing and Visual Arts if you want to, but um, it's, um, it's, it's a special school and I love that we have played a role in the history of art schools across the country. Yeah, no, we don't need to get into that, but, uh, I do, I do there are some other things I'd like to get into. Some of them are, are, you know, your personal interests, but I'm going to ask one more kind of educational question and then I'm, uh, I'll switch to more of the arts and then I'm going to switch to you as an Astros fan. But, um, the, 
I would, you know, you guys, as we're recording this, and this will come out after you guys have already started, so your tune might change a little bit uh, in the next few days, but what do you think are some of the less obvious challenges for virtual learning? And then also, because I don't like to always have a negative, I like to have positive with it. What are some of the positive takeaways that you think might come out of the virtual learning world? Um, some of those more obvious ones are, you know, musicians having a bad sound quality playing through their computer, uh, dancers not having the space in their own personal, you know, homes to be able to do what they would do in studio with Courtney, things like that. Um, uh, there, there are some obvious ones, but then what are some of those less obvious ones for these, for these art kids? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head is with these art kids, you know, it's, um, teaching virtually academically academic classes virtually i'm not saying it's easy because it's not easy um but it's a whole different ball game whenever you are talking about you know teaching the arts and working on the craft i had a theater teacher who said to me it's not it's not right to be teaching theater through a screen it's not right to not be having that interaction and and i i feel that that's true for all of the art areas um but when you look at, we've got six different art areas and, and really I feel like that the instrumental and vocalists have the biggest challenge because, you know, the, the bandwidth and the, you know, you can, I can be playing an instrument, you can be playing an instrument, but if we're trying to do something virtually yeah. live, that's just not going to work. And so I think that music has the, the biggest challenge uh, in, in trying to do this virtually. I was, I was so amazed and and it's very rare that I would say anything negative about HSPVA. And so I'm not going to hear, but I was just so amazed at how every art area stepped up and, and delivered uh, after we, we went virtual in March, just the creativity and the, you know, still being able to stream performances. Did they look different? Yes. Uh, did they still work? Yes. Um, so I think it's just figuring out how we, continue to engage the students in the in the different art areas while we're virtual and depending on how long that lasts. Um, I think that the the great thing that has come out of this is I think at all schools in in art education, I think the relationships between students and and teachers is is different that than most teachers have. Um, our teachers have relationships that are strong and respectful. And I, I, I am always amazed when I see those, but the fact that all of a sudden the teachers are learners, just like the students. Um, and I think that our, our students have said to us, Hey, have you tried this? Or have you seen this platform? Or have you used this has been huge. And we as a staff in our last two weeks of, of professional development had the conversation many times about so many of our kids did virtual programs this summer in the arts. You know, they were supposed to go off and do a program, but it ended up turning virtual. And so just listening to them these first couple of weeks, you know, what was the experience? What did you do? How did they deliver instruction? What worked for you? You know, if we're not listening and learning from our kids, then we're not going to stay relevant and we're not going to keep them engaged. Um, but so many times, even in the spring, we would say to a kid, hey, we need to put this together. And two days later, there it was. And I'm sitting at my computer weeping because it was even better than I thought it could be. Um, but kids today with technology, you know, most of them are, are brilliant and amazing. And, and so I just think that that chance to learn alongside of them is something that that's good that's going to come out of all of this. Yeah, I um, a couple of days ago in one of my classes was kind of giving them a soapbox lecture about guys, you got to keep your cameras on. I, I you know, in, in theater, I've got to know if you're engaged with me and, and I've got to know that you're there and just this probably five minute lecture. And then a kid chimes in and says, Mr. Minor, we can't see you. <laughs> and I was like, Oh crap. I just created the most hypocritical conversation with you guys. But, but I owned up to it because what happened is I was showing them a video. And whenever I do that, I, I turn off my camera to help with the bandwidth element that you were mentioning. And uh, I just forgot to turn the camera back on. And then I went onto the soapbox and they, they, they got a kick out of it. But yeah, I mean, teachers being vulnerable um, and allowing their students to kind of let them in a little bit with that, um, I think is a good takeaway. The other thing about HSPVA, I will say, and I, I know you said this right at the beginning, there's nothing to take away from the kind of the core content. Um, 
it's just as difficult, but it is, in my opinion, a little more adaptable uh, to to this as long as you put in the work. But it is difficult. But at PVA, that relationship that like I have with my students in in a and and I know PVA is public, but in a more traditional public school, is not the same relationship that a lot of kids have with their core teachers. Whereas at PVA, that's not the case. I mean, I remember very well with like Chris Gibson uh, and Miss Ballard and Dr. Smith. Well, you know, all, I can remember, I can rat off names, Larry Trout, uh, who I know you know well. Um, there, there are so many teachers that you do create these relationships with uh, because they're there for a different reason too. Uh, they know where they are. Um, and I just, you know, I, I very much enjoyed that as, as far as the cult is concerned, because PVA is very much a, a cult that just doesn't drink Kool-Aid at 2.30 on a random Sunday. So, um, but, but, you know, I think too, part of that is that there's a respect between the academic and art area teachers and the fact that you sit in a math class or you sat in Chris, Chris Gibson's class and heard about Star Trek. And then that evening you're at a performance and there's Chris because they go to performances. And, and that's, I think that's what melds that relationship. And it does happen at comprehensive high schools. It's just usually a comprehensive high school has 1500, yeah. 1600 kids. So I think the size of the school and the fact that, that these teachers are, for the most part in awe of what their students can do. And we tell the art area teachers when we are, when we have new teachers, we tell the academic teachers, go stick your head in the, the art area classes, go watch your kids because that kid who is struggling in your class and maybe giving you some problems, go watch him play the piano or yeah. go watch him dance because you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, like look at the talent. So yeah. I, I just think that you're right. The, the relationships are, are different. Yeah, there. it was it was a lot of fun. But enough about that. More about you. Uh, so I've got to ask about running. Um, you have not always been a runner, I assume, because I know you posted on social media at some point, I, I want to say like a year ago or at least or something about just how you kind of fell in love with it and uh, ran a marathon, correct? Or am I, am I wrong about that? Or a half marathon or... No, you're, you're you're right. Okay, you're, right. you're the Tim Estelle of HISD, is what I'm understanding. So <laughs> except, except except Tim Estelle is fast, and uh, uh, when you watch the the man run, you're like, that's a runner. Yeah. They're like Scott Allen. Look at that. Uh, no, I you know for some strange reason, when I was an assistant principal, I decided I was going to run a 5K, and I did that. And again, there was nothing fast about it, but I did it and I never needed to do it again. And um, my partner, also Scott, they call him the good Scott. Uh, he um, he had run marathons for, for a while. And one year he said, you know, you should run the marathon. And uh, after I picked myself up from laughing, uh, I got online and, and found a group. It was Runners High. It's still around. I'm still a member. And uh they said on their website that if you could run, walk three miles when you started in August, and if you followed their program, that you would run a marathon and uh, got new shoes, went out there, was terrified not to do everything yeah. that they told me to do. And, uh, you know, long runs were on Saturdays. And so January, I think it was 2009 was the first one. And I went out there and I, I, ran i don't run fast i run like a 11 and a half minute mile which uh you know i i'm okay with that because yeah. i finished i think i finished in like five hours and 54 minutes which the cutoff is six six hours <laughs> and of course scott finishes in like four hours and he's a run runner right and i remember when i finished uh he he gave me a hug and he said he goes i i i was i was getting worried you weren't gonna finish and i was like you were worried um <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I, I, I've run nine marathons. They've all been Houston oh. marathons. And uh, I, I say it's a love hate relationship because like once you finish, once you, once I finish a long run, I feel good, but it's like getting out there is I'm watching, I'm looking at my watch. I'm, are we done? Are we done? Are we done? Uh, but I've also learned that I can have extra chips and queso because <laughs> I run. And so Anyway, I, I, I'm kind of in a funk right now because I have a pretty good feeling that they're going to cancel the right. January one. And with this, we're, we just started training virtually because we can't all be together to do that on Saturdays. But I'm having a real hard time being motivated because I feel like that in about a month, they're going to say they're going to do it virtually. Yeah. And I ain't running 26.2 miles virtually. Yourself, it's like, yeah. You know. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's my story. And 
it 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 is, is what it is. Do you think there's a way that they could that they could mimic the experience any in any way? Like just set up random bands on the corner and have people no, just because yeah. I think what I I think what does it for me is the fact that Houston shows up yeah. like for um I think the fastest I've run was five hours and 16 minutes. So I've mm. shaved off some time, but you know, for that five hours and however many minutes just running through Houston and there being constant crowds of yeah. people who are yelling your name and, and supporting you. That's, I think that's what keeps you going. Right. And I've, since the, since we've been quarantining and social distancing, I've done a couple of 10 K's virtually. And, and of course that's out with a friend, like right. I'm out running with a friend. Um, but six miles is different than 26 miles, yeah. you know? Um, so we'll see. I know they, they canceled the Cowtown uh, Fort Worth Marathon, which is in February, late February. So I'm thinking that's not nearly the size of Houston. Right. And if that's in February, but uh, yeah, is, we'll see. I'll do, just, I'll keep going out and doing my long runs on Saturdays and we'll see what happens. Do you have tips and tricks on what to wear, <laughs> how to prepare for that? Because one of my, like, well, six, seven <laughs> years ago when I was running longer distances than I do now, uh, and I too am a, a turtle as well, but um, I I was always concerned about man if it's cold outside I'm gonna be cold at the beginning and I but I I also because of I'm a you know stereotypical stingy Jew uh, I want to you know I don't want to just shred my clothes and and leave them off to the side because you see that I've my my brother in laws run and I just see I'm like oh a nice oh that's a nice hat I'm gonna <laughs> you know <laughs> so I I want to keep my stuff but at the same time I don't want to be you know, schwitzing all over the place. And, um, what, so what's your like style tip, outfit tip? You know, people make fun of me because I, uh, we, we usually go out on Saturday mornings for our long runs. It's, you know, it's usually five or five fifteen when we go out there. And so I, unless it's in the thirties, I show up with my, my little running shorts and my little short sleeve shirt. And people are like, aren't you cold? And I'm like, I am cold, but in 15 minutes, I'm going to be fine. And so, um, I'm a big guy and I, I, sweat a lot. And so I, I, I don't wear that much, you know, um, <laughs> it's not pretty to see, but, uh, I need to be as comfortable as I can right. be. And, you know, whenever it is in the thirties and, and you wear the long pants, it's like, by the time you get to mile 16 or 17, you're like, why did I think that was a good idea? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Um, I having Scott as a, a, a go-to to ask questions and also runners high, they're, they're a great resource, but, um, you know, I try to try to keep it simple and, and just try not to get hurt because old fat men running, they get hurt. <laughs> I've got a couple other like more fun personal questions. So you mentioned, and I did not know this, that you taught with Tim, Jackie Bick, Jay, uh, who I've become, uh, I don't want to say like good friends with, but he definitely knows who I am and I know who he is and we've messed around with each other and stuff like that. Um, we have a good relationship. Have you heard the rumor of his one arm push up? and tearing his bicep or tricep or some muscle in his arm. Have you heard that story? It sounds familiar. It's it's a Woodlands story. It's apparently something that happened to him when he was at the Woodlands High School that he was trying to show off for the kids. <laughs> and, to, <laughs> and for those of you that don't know Tim Jakubik, he's about three feet tall, but just stacked with muscle. Um, and he wouldn't mind me saying that. He's, he's an amazing guy, one of the best like theater technicians that I've ever uh, gotten to know. Uh, but he is, he, I, you know, I don't know the truth. He has told kids he's a Navy SEAL and also a, a Green Beret and all, you know, just keep stacking them just because he likes to mess with the kids. But um, yeah, apparently he did a one arm push up, but when he did it, he like ripped one of his muscles and the kids had to take him to the hospital or something to that effect. <laughs> I don't remember. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Jay is a great guy. And, um, you know, like I said, it was kind of the first time that I wasn't, working by myself and, and relying on moms and dads to help me with costumes and sets. And so suddenly I had this guy who, you know, was building me two story revolving sets and yeah. uh, it was, he, yeah, he's amazing. And uh, yeah, he, I guess he left the, I left, he left humble like two years after I did and went out to the woodlands yeah. and I ran into him at a contest, you know, and uh, he's still, still a great guy. Yeah. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So, so you were there with Tim and Travis was there too. So Travis and James were over James. at the ninth grade campus okay. and Tim and I were at the, uh, the main high school. And, uh, and yeah, it was like all of a sudden being back in college because right. you, you weren't, 
you weren't all by yourself. And it was, again, it was a huge high school. I'd come from four A high schools. So all of a sudden you had all these kids too, but um, yeah. How did that work with shows? How did you guys divvy up who did what, or was it that the ninth grade stayed over in the ninth grade or did they come over and help? with uh um travis shows. would do travis would do his season at the ninth grade and then we would work together all four of us would work together on on one act play but um you know it was i feel like that the three years we did one act with travis and i that it, it truly was a, a co-directing you know we 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 worked together on that but um i would do my shows i want to say that every once in a while james and tim would do a show you know something small that they wanted to do um it was just it we all got along. So it was kind of yeah. like, what do you, what do you want to do? And we did musicals with uh, Joe Weir and Carl Braden, you know, the, the music guys. So like I said, it was a great experience and yeah. it was, yeah. So I could probably talk to you for hours on this one topic, but you are a pretty massive Astros fan. A um, little bit. Yeah. What? So, okay. First of all, tell me how you felt when they, the, the official news came out that they had, cheated and then tell me how you felt a couple months later when it came out that practically every other team also does the same thing <laughs> uh I'm, I'm i'm walking off the set now no um you know i i love the astros so much and they have provided such joy uh for me and you know, when the news dropped, I, I have not been a baseball fan all my life. When I moved to Houston, that Sammy Green introduced me to the Astros. Yeah. So it's not like it's been a lifelong love. But, um, you know, it it was what it was. Like, I hate to say that, but it, it, it was sort of like I was disappointed. I was crushed. I was upset. And yeah. I think that the thing that bothered me the most about it was no doubt they were the most talented team in baseball. And no doubt they didn't need to cheat. Right. Um, we could have a, a three hour conversation about this. I, my whole thing is that whenever you look at their record on the road and at home that year, we did better on the road than we did right. at home. Correct. And so do I think that, that we were impacted? Was our, our success impacted by cheating? Yes. Was it wrong? Yes. Do they deserve everything they're getting? Yes. Um, um, were they still the best team? <laughs> yes. in, in, in my eyes yes yeah. that year you know whenever you when you look at the series when you look at the different series that led to the world championship it's not like they swept anybody right. everybody had their chance at home everybody had their chance at, at visiting parks and they're they're still champions and yeah. and people will disagree with me people hate the astros right now i don't hate the astros they made a mistake we all make mistakes um do I think they were unfairly punished? Yes. Do I think that all teams cheat? Yes. I, I don't know what happened. I don't get the luxury of, of hanging out in the club and in, yeah. the, in the dugout. But, um, you know, I I was dreading this season uh, just because I knew that it was going to be really tough for them. I no doubt Jose Altuve is struggling this season because I think he is so in his head with people thinking he's not a good ball player, and he is. Um, and then this all happened, and yeah. it's even worse than I thought it would be. Um but I don't, I don't know. Um, so what, what year did you become like, when were you introduced to the Astros? Sammy drugged me kicking and screaming to an Astros game in the spring of 98 okay. at the Astrodome. And I want to say it was, um, I want to say it was a game where if we won, we were going to the playoffs. Sure. Like it wasn't the end of the season though, but I remember us going once it was obvious we were going to win that game. I remember us going to the window and buying tickets because right. that's what you did back in 1998. Right. Um, but I had such a great time and uh, we went to a few more games. And obviously when you're teaching school, a, you don't have money to go to yeah. lots of games and B, you don't have time. So it wasn't really until I became an administrator that I had time to go to more games. And then I think this is the fifth year that um, I have season tickets, but I split with two other people. Right. So I, I get to go to probably 30 games in the regular season. Right. Uh, but I, I just love it. It's so much fun. And, you know, we went through those years where it wasn't so much fun when we yep. were losing all the time, but I still went. And, uh, and I think that's what makes it fun now. Uh, the players are just a blast to watch. They're, they're having such a great time. And um, I haven't watched on TV as much as I thought I would this season, just because I find it very depressing yeah. to watch it with yeah. the empty stadium. Um, 
and half of our team is, is hurt and that's frustrating too. But, um, yeah, I probably, um, I still remember walking into Minute Maid Park the first time in 2000 and just walking through that little, um, hallway out and just remembering the excitement and the new stadium. And it's crazy to think that stadium is 20 years old now. Um, But yeah, it's just fun. And to me, it's relaxing. You know, um, once every three years, I'll go to a Texan game. And then I remember why I haven't been to a Texan <laughs> game because there is nothing relaxing. No. There is nothing Football's like. Football's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, people, some people, some of my friends are like, it's so boring. It's so slow. And I'm like, you know what? It's a chance to just sit there and yeah. talk to the person you're with and watch some baseball. Yeah. What is your go to meal at Minute Maid? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Foot long hot dog okay. with uh, cheese okay. <laughs> and a Diet Coke. I, I probably drink about six Diet Cokes every game, the big, huge souvenir cup ones. <laughs> so I don't mean to be bipolar with you, but I'm going to switch real fast to end this up so that we can end with kind of uh, an educational, a theater education, HSPVA type type question. And uh, uh, it's, it's one that I alluded to before we started recording. So PVA is known to do... Um, edgier shows, able to get away with uh, doing shows that aren't normally produced in your average high school, you, uh, per se. Some high schools do them, obviously, because they wouldn't be the rights wouldn't be out if they, they didn't. Uh, what is it about those shows that you think kind of speaks to um, a, a, a community, an audience, uh, the students, the faculty? What is it about choosing those shows that kind of helps establish who you are as HSPVA, uh, the the fact that they are able to kind of, and I don't want to say get away with, because that's kind of a negative connotation. It's, it's, it's producing these shows with a purpose and educating these students to be ready for bigger and better things. What is it about those shows that's so important, theatrically speaking, uh, for these kids to produce and even the directors as well? Yeah, there's all different all different directions to go with, with that question. (laughs) Um, when I got, when I first got to HSPVA and I really did try to take a year to just take everything in and not, not make changes. Cause I think that you have to, you have to understand before you go about change. Um, I didn't feel like that there was any rhyme or reason to the shows that were being done. And to me, first of all, you have to have a reason. And, and to me, your audience needs to leave with something that they didn't come in with. And so um, we had that conversation. And then we had the conversation of we are in a school where we have amazing talent. We've got support of the district. And so I do think that we can live a little bit more on the edge. And then a few years later, I found myself having the conversation of we every show doesn't have to push the envelope because if so, we're going to get to a point where we don't have the freedoms that we have right now. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, you know, when I you think, are. when I think about, um, you know, we did Fela last year. It was the first musical in the new building and, and we were the first high school in the nation to do it. And the producers pretty much said, take the script, do with it what you need to, you have our blessing and permission to do that. I, I think that spoke highly of the the reputation we have i think that people trust that 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 we make art that is relevant and respectful and uh important this year our black history musical was color purple and you know i love color purple i've wanted to do it for a long time and the night that i went to see it uh to sit through the whole production was the night the superintendent came which just let me make note that the, that was the first time in 12 years that a superintendent had come and seen an all-school musical. Um, and she just won all kinds of points by being there. That being said, I sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Uh, because, I mean, there's some yeah. there's some edgy stuff in Color Purple. But I felt like that, that the director and the production staff and the kids took it and delivered it at such a level that most people forgot they were watching high school theater. Um, and, and, you know, when the Tommy tune nominations came out and that's not everything, but when that came out, I felt like that that was sort of validation that our kids had told a very difficult story, um, the way it needed to be told. Um, and so I, I am thankful every day that we have the freedom to do some amazing work that other schools don't. Um, 
I wish that more administrators had arts background to understand the difference that some of those edgier pieces can make uh, uh, in in lives. But um, yeah, that was a whole big old circle that probably did not answer no, your question. No, it was great. That's exactly what I wanted. So I'm gonna, but I am gonna end with one more, and it's a funny one. I think hopefully maybe I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot. Who is a graduate that if you saw today, you would be like, oh man, you're so like, like you'd be starstruck. <laughs> is there a graduate even before your time that is attached to the school? And don't say Beyonce. Uh, you're not allowed to use her because she didn't, she didn't <laughs> technically graduate from PVA, but, um, and I know she's a big listener of the podcast, so I don't want to, you know, insult Beyonce. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, like that person will probably, that prob that person will always be for me, uh, Chandra Wilson. Yeah. Um, you know, she, um, she graduated from PVA about the same time that I graduated high school, but, um, was 88, I, I believe. Yeah. She had just been reengaged, uh, by HSPVA friends like the year before I got there, but you know, she comes back every year and actually, well, for the last two years, she's had to do it virtually for rain and, and COVID reasons, but she comes and spends an entire day watching our seniors present their portfolio to her, do their uh, monologues, gives them feedback. They come back again and do it for her. And then she selects two students and she gives two scholarships uh, that can go on up to four years. So she's huge, hugely generous. Uh, she gave to the capital campaign. Anytime the school needs something, she's there, but she is probably the most kind, generous person um, that I have ever met. And the fact that she continues to embrace the school, yeah. um, even though, you know, she's done Broadway and movies and TV and, and all of that. Um, she's just, she, I just adore her for the person she is. Um, she's obviously talented, but, um, you know, so many of our alum, I, that's another thing that we could talk about for hours is that, you know, you're a successful alum. You, you're an amazing teacher and, and our alum, they don't walk away from the school. It's like, there's always this support and this connection and this pride that they, that folks yeah. went to HSPVA. And I love that, but uh, yeah, she'll always kind of, every time I see her on TV, I'm kind of like, Oh, Chandra, Hey, <laughs> let me text her and say, what's going on. You know? Uh, so yeah, she's kind of my, I, 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 I fan girl oh, over that's, Chandra. That's great. Minor.